0: Welcome back to The Drop Zone. It is a Sunday evening after a rousing day in the golf world. I'm back home in Seattle. I was watching on the road today. Sean is home in Chicago. Um, Sean, wow. Patrick Cantlay. Who knew knew Patrick Cantlay would be the fan favorite, the popular winner today? Was he? And who knew it would happen in such dramatic fashion? I think he was. He was
1: the fan favorite. I... Well. I had a hard time understanding who was the favorite out there because Bryson really pumped the crowd up throughout the week. I mean, I think a lot of people out there were yeah. cheering for him. He pulls driver on the first hole instead of iron, and that got its own little mm-hmm. like standing ovation. And so I think Bryson had quite a few fans, but then you know, when he hits a bad shot, it felt like people were also cheering. So it, was, it might have been more of a split crowd than anything.
0: Yeah, that's probably fair. I, my general sense is that Bryson has – Bryson polls well in person <laughs> and probably not quite as well on the internet. Um, hmm. I think just when you're when you're just making icy putt after icy putt, it's easy to get people on board. Oh my gosh. Um, and Cantley he he made a zillion putts. He All had the greatest week. putting week. Greatest putting week in recorded strokes gained history. Gained about what 14 and a half strokes on the field, which 537
1: is insane. feet of made putts. That is also one of the best putting performances ever. You just look at his putts, the, the number of putts. Like, one, I, I don't think I have in recent memory had any round in my life with fewer than 30 putts. He went 26, <laughs> 24, 29, 27. He just he was money the whole week,
0: yeah. That 24 is a, a low number. There is a reason he and Bryson were both kind of chasing 59 um, on Friday, I guess it was. Anyway, Sean, I mean, where would even begin? We were talking on Tour Confidential just now about where this ranks in terms of you know regular PGA Tour finishes. And I struggled to find a proper comparison because I think we've had some good showdowns. Oh, yeah. you know, we've we had, had playoffs. and Justin Thomas. We had John Rahm a year ago playing against Dustin Johnson. That had an exciting finish. But now we've got fans back. They were getting into it. Um, We had two really compelling figures. I mean, Bryson for very obvious reasons. Patrick Cantlay is more. He's more like a. uh, You know, the hardcore golf fan has interesting thoughts about Patrick Cantlay. I would say. Um, So and then just so many twists and turns. So many moments where, I mean, Cantlay was definitely dead and then bryson was dead and then you know finally can't lay buried in but i mean the twists and turns were insane i don't where do we start
1: well i i I tweeted this out and i think that's what happens when your podcast isn't so big that you 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 save your takes for the podcast i i tweeted it out Mm. basically that i thought at some point, this round felt like Bryson was the, like the final boss mode of a video game in which Cantlay mm-hmm. was tr- Cantlay was like trying to beat him and like respawning and trying to beat the final boss and like this, you know, the final boss has, he hits it 30 yards further than you and he puts it just, it's seemingly just as well as you and you, you can't quite beat him. But then at some point it was like, wait, maybe Cantlay is the final boss who just, can't be beat. Who's just like, it doesn't matter how much further you hit it than him. It doesn't matter if you put it yeah. really well on his level. He's going to make more putts than you did. That's what was maybe the most fun about it is that they were not hitting the same shots. That par 317th, Bryson's hitting wedge. Cantley's hitting eight iron. Uh, their shots mm-hmm. into 18, very different shots. Bryson hit a couple wedges that he was able to spin back off of the back shelf. Cantley was just trying to hit this kind of. Butter cut that would stick next to the hole. Uh, yeah. So they were playing different types of golf, and that's what that is, that's what is ultimately extremely entertaining. You don't see the same shots yeah. hit by the same guy.
0: So yeah, one of the things I was most impressed by was just Cantlay's relentlessness on eighteen because every time it was like 185 yards in, <laughs> and Bryson had wet a pill. And it's funny. So I was I was in uh, I was at a wedding in Chicago. Was flying back. I had service on the ground. I was watching uh on my phone and then got up in the air. Was able to stream a little bit, but mostly was just following along on Shot Tracker for a while. And I just kept seeing, "Oh man, all right, Cantley's got 185 <laughs> left. Bryson's got 134." And oh, I don't know how many times they played that hole f- five, 5 times, times on the day. regulation. Yep. And so the fact that Cantley I guess overall beat Bryson on number 18, beat him by 2. Is pretty impressive and the 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 way that he didn't quit I mean and this will get talked about plenty but that moment on 17 where Cantley dumps it in the water it it was over the tournament was over in that moment Bryson had a pretty straightforward chip shot Cantley was hitting three from the drop zone shout out drop zone <laughs> and you know then obviously things things turned um the word chip yips was used on the broadcast to describe the shot that Bryson hit, which Yikes. felt um, a little bit aggressive to me. <laughs> um, but Cantlay obviously then hit it to six or seven feet, got up and down. They each walked off with bogey. The rest was history. Cantlay buried another putt on 18. Uh, do, you, do you think Bryson has the chip yips?
1: No. <laughs> no. I mean, he, he obviously was strokes gain negative this week around the green. He mm-hmm. was... He's, he was a little bit worse than middle of the pack when it came to strokes getting around the green. I mean, I think it. when you think chip yips, you think of what Tiger Woods went through in the most public way. I believe back in probably that's 2015 to 16 uh, timetable for yep. him. Like that was bad. Tiger was sculling chips, flubbing them short. He was deathly afraid of any tight lie. This course didn't have tight lies. <laughs> this course had thick, rough and soft little juicy lies. Fluffy rough. Yeah. Yeah. And so no, I don't think that this was the chip yips. I think Paul Azinger sometimes gets out there over his skis a little bit and starts firing (laughs) from the hip, which, you know, can be fun. Um, it's just a little too loose for my money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yips is just a, it's one of those charged words in the golf world. I mean, the, one of the basic things with Bryson is he's hitting so many greens They got, it wasn't chipping much. You hardly chipped at all. And so, and also except on, you know, par fours and fives, I guess, being around the green and one and two. Yeah.
1: When he's hammering his driver around the green and one or hammering some Mm -hmm. like driver fairway wood up around the green of a par five and two, you're going to get a bunch of lies you don't really love. (laughs) But generally if you're a pro and his level, you can handle them. One thing I want to point out is, uh, If you ever needed an understanding of strokes gained, and just what that means and how it's broken up into different categories, Bryson DeChambeau is probably more famous for driver than anything. And this week, Mm -hmm. he he used that to the nth degree, and he gained seven and a half shots on the field with his driver, which is a lot. Strokes gained off the Mm -hmm. tee that includes you know three woods off the tee, but getting as close as you can to the hole from the tee, it's Bryson's game to lose. Patrick Cantley gained twice that amount with his putter alone. So the, the the advantage that Bryson gets off the tee compared to the rest of the field was half as valuable as Patrick Cantley's putter this week. And that's just, that's incredible. That's not sustainable, uh, obviously, but it is incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And that's how Patrick Cantley somehow – somehow remained at 27 under par. (laughs) Like all these, Mm -hmm. the entire field was under par.
0: Literally the entire field was under par, including Ryder cup hopefuls, Kevin Kisner and Phil Mickelson. We'll get to them living um, a little bit later, but I think they finished at what one or two under par. Yep. Definitely living under par. (laughs) Um, Cantley was incredible. Bryson was probably underrated again with his putter. That's kind of what he does. He drives it really well. He putts it really well. Everything in between is, you know, good enough for his purposes. Um, I'm curious what you thought of Caves Valley, because this is a course that's pretty highly rated in terms of, you know, the the golf architecture world looks pretty fondly upon it. Uh, I was talking to a guy at the wedding I was at yesterday. He grew up in Maryland. Um, shout out to Pat Feist. And he was just talking about how, you know, growing up Caves Valley is this local legendary course it's really hard especially from the backs it's just you know i mean it's highly rated it's tough it's got that you know i think locally it's the sort of place where you're like oh man they could have a u.s open at this place or whatever because you grow the rough up it's just it's difficult and this weekend was a perfect exhibition of how when you have wide fairways and you have soft greens these guys just torch it they absolutely shred it (laughs) Who was it? It was uh, Brian Harman. Oh, Kevin Na shot five under today. Five under par in the final round. Moved down on the leaderboard. (laughs) So it was like, I mean, just to keep up with, I think Shane Lowry was talking about how it was sort of dispiriting to, uh, you know, see what was happening. Yeah, Kevin Na, final round 67, went from a tie for 16th to a tie for 17th is where he finished. Yeah, if you were if you're standing still you were getting passed. You
1: heard you heard it in Sergio's presser. Sergio's little discussion with the the broadcast afterwards. I mean, he shot 69 today. Had a pretty tough time all day. But he said after shooting 65, 67, 67, he really didn't have much of a chance coming into the day. <laughs> like that's pretty crazy that the guy who shoots three rounds 67 or below Pretty much didn't think he had much of a chance coming into the day because there were two guys above him that were just going bananas. They're going wild, uh, and that's I'm I'm struggling to think of another course in tournament that has been given this much stakes. It also played like this, uh, and I just don't don't think there really is one. Right, um, you know, Bryson pulls driver to the fans' applause in the first tee today instead of iron um hits it into the greenside bunker and i just thought to myself like what are we accomplishing here <laughs> what are we accomplishing <laughs> by having the first hole of a of a pga tour playoff event that has truly millions and millions and millions of dollars at stake what are we what are we accomplishing by yeah. by letting someone who obviously is kind of on his own on the pga tour hit into a greenside bunker, chip out on the first hole, chip out and make a, like a four foot birdie putt. I don't think we're, I don't think we're accomplishing a whole lot in terms of, uh, well, you know, what we're accomplishing, we're accomplishing the entertainment factor that someone can make a birdie on the first hole and just go off running mm-hmm. and, you know, use his prodigious length and all that jazz. But
0: tell you what, yeah, not just on the first hole, but the way this course set up and, uh, you know, I think, not to not to push back too hard on Sergio, but my man played his way straight into the golf tournament. I think he was only one shot back after four holes because he started birdie, eagle, par, birdie, <laughs> and then hit it greenside on the drivable fifth because that, that's what was crazy here. Number one is, you know, almost drivable for Bryson. Number two is a reachable par five. Number three is a par three. Number four is a reachable par five. Number five is a reachable <laughs> par four. So there's a ton of scoring chances. Sergio starts three, 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 four. So he's four under par through four. Hits it in the greenside bunker and then makes six on number five. So he, I mean, he was in the golf tournament. He just escorted himself out, Yeah. you know, in one greenside bunker where it took him, I think, three shots to get out.
1: Do you think that we accomplished much, though? Like, was that truly entertaining like short of the playoff was this course entertaining for the golf.
0: The the playoff really bailed it out. There were moments of drama throughout the week. I definitely don't remember scores being this low at another course and having like the same appreciation for it. But for whatever reason when the scores really clump up like this around, you know, 16 18 under it feels like it cheapens it somewhat. It cheapens the value of a birdie. Um, I like to see birdies as accomplishments rather than you know, if you make par, you're literally losing ground on the field yeah. on almost every mm-hmm. hole. So, I think I don't. It know. was it I, was
1: hard for me on Sunday to follow all the action. And I remember Sergio, I believe, birdied the fourteenth hole, and uh, suddenly. I was looking at the broadcast and it was like, you know, it was like a 15 to 20 foot putt that rolled in for birdie. And I was like, wait, but was that a birdie hole? Like, did he gain anything with that? It I, I wasn't yeah, really yeah. sure if that mattered. Like, was he actually going to gain on the leaders because they might not birdie that hole? It didn't feel like any part of the back nine was obvious about where you, where you are making a good birdie. And yeah, that just becomes this kind of like whirlpool of, scoring (laughs) that uh it doesn't really necessarily allow for a clubhouse leader to kind of get out in front and and hold on to a lead like a lot of the other tour courses might allow for
0: yeah although ironically this is where the leader finally did hold up through 54 holes first time since phil mickelson at the pga which our man justin ray was i think saying is the longest stretch ever of no 54 hole leaders closing things out so it was pretty interesting but um, does this does this change where Patrick Cantlay sits in the golf world in your mind, Sean?
1: No, I don't think so. And uh, gosh, people should hate me for that. But <laughs> the guy had a ridiculous putting week. Truly ridiculous. The kind of putting week that's in- unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, anything half as good as what he had this week is really quite good. Now, he said afterward that he's getting... He's getting back to feeling like he can putt like it, like he like he said, putt like me, putt like I'm used to. Yeah. Well, I I should
0: say so. And you should tell Patrick that he doesn't normally putt this way. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, if he's feeling good about his putter, there are a few things better to have going into a Ryder Cup than to be feeling really, really good with your putter. And so, in that sense, Mm -hmm. yeah, I do feel better about Patrick Cantlay being a Ryder Cup player. I feel better about him being lethal, right? Um, he hit a couple, like not so great approach shots to be completely fair, closing the tournament and, you know, at the beginning of the playoff, but then he buckled down and was striping. He striped his last few drives on 18, obviously threw it inside of three feet on 17. So, yeah, I mean, he's, I guess he's a little bit more of a qualified, uh, verified stone cold killer than maybe thought he was a yes. week ago. Uh, like this is another notch in his belt, <laughs> so to say. Yeah.
0: One thought, I just checked the numbers. There were only four holes that played over par on the week. Uh, only two holes played over par on Sunday, I think. So definitely guys were making bundles of birdies. As far as Patrick Cantley goes, I'm not sure exactly where he's going to jump to in the world, maybe to about seven, um, because he was at number 10 higher, you're saying. You're pointing through a gulp of water over there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think
1: he's going to go up into the top five.
0: Oh, oh, wow. Okay. So he's totally jumping into the upper echelon in terms of world rank. What that means kind of varies person by person. But he is not afraid to go low on Sunday. It's, it's fun to watch this dude under pressure for sort of opposite reasons than it's fun to watch some other people. It's not because – He's going to get hyped and crumble. It's because of the exact opposite. It's funny. So when my when my stream was giving out, I was basically just following on Shot Tracker and on Twitter, which was you know both a good and bad way to, to follow it. But what was it? Spencer Hall said he was just a you know great general sports uh, figure on the Twitter world. He said I don't know who Patrick Cantley is but I'm pretty sure he'd kill for money and never get caught. <laughs> and that kind of seemed to like capture the whole tenor of the experience was like this guy just is cold blooded. He played like it. He putted like it. He reacted like it. He finally gave a little bit of a fist pump, but he's not going to be screaming or like playing to the fans. He said afterwards he loved being called Patty ice. Yeah. I think he likes feeding into that a little bit, um, but you wouldn't have necessarily known it during the the action. So it was It was kind of awe-inspiring. It just wasn't what you would get from a lot of other, I don't know, star golfers.
1: What happens when he gets in front of 50,000 fans at Whistling Straits? Like, what happens in the Ryder Cup? I think he loves it. But, like, when people go crazy. I think he likes it,
0: you just can't tell.
1: All people do at the Ryder Cup is scream when their putts go in. Everybody, every single player does it. What will Patrick Cantlay do? Patrick
0: Cantlay... He is now the fourth-ranked golfer in the world. That wasn't even close. That's no, okay. I thought maybe he was going to jump from 10 to 7 or something. He's in front of Xander. He's in front of Justin Thomas. He's in front of Bryson. Well, people forget. That's he crazy. He stole
1: John Rahm's win at the Memorial.
0: He stole John Rahm's win at the Memorial, and he could end up stealing John Rahm's number one world ranking with a few more weeks like And this. player of the year. But, yeah, he kind of got a bonus victory there. Is he the player
1: of the year? I don't like to use this word, but this could be the sleaziest player of the year award ever granted <laughs> short of Rory winning in 2019.
0: There's a lot of categorization we have to buzz through here. We, I, we, I want to talk about the, the, uh, tour championship just really quick and the starting, uh, positions that we're going to have. So we've got Patrick Cantlay is now starting at 10 under next week. We, we've got this, the staggered start based on uh FedEx cut points. Tony Finau is at eight under Bryson DeChambeau, seven under John Rahm, six under those. That feels like a fitting top four for sure. Based on how things have gone recently, Cameron Smith at five under, and then you have various clumps down at four under three under, you know, Rory and Xander and Kepka are at two under all the way down to even par where your man, Eric van Royen, who played inspired golf today, where he ends up. So, I don't know who's going to win this thing. Is Patrick Cantlay going to front run his way to uh to the Tour Championship?
1: I mean, this feels like a course that mimics in a slightly easier way what East Lake tries to ask you to do. Hit it both ways, hit it straight mm. off the tee, fire in a dart, make putt. So with that in mind, I mean, yeah, of course. It won't it won't play out that way. It always seems to kind of even out. Um I'm excited yep. for the year in which whoever's the front runner just buzzsaws it during the tour championship and then they have nothing to play for on Sunday. That would be a fun little take on a truly
0: abomination
1: of a system. Uh,
0: <laughs> the problem with this system, Sean, is that if it works to reward the leader, then you've made an uninteresting golf tournament. So the only way that it does work is this, like, peloton catching up to the leader thing which it seems like is probably going to happen well yeah
1: you take Um, 29 of the best players in the world against one they're going to catch it they're going to catch his ass after
0: four days they're going to they're going to catch him most of the time i mean john rahm is is set up to play pretty damn well again it'd be hard to you wouldn't be shocked if john rahm walks away with the big check next week so I don't know. You called it an abomination. Do you have any other takes you want to get off your chest about this tour championship format?
1: I just want everyone to continually remind everyone else just how much money is in play. All the money, all Mm -hmm. of the money, so much money, more money than you've got more money than I've got more money than you and I will ever make all that money. And then some, it's a lot. Uh, And you know, these guys do a lot of good with it, but, I would be I would be just through the moon if one of these guys is like, my entire tour championship check, we're giving it away. That'd be fun.
0: Giving it away to one mid-sized, well-respected golf podcast. Yep, exactly. For them to invest as they see fit. A couple guys that I'm impressed with that made the top 30, Stuart Sink, shout out to him. Uh, he kind of had his moment earlier this year, but he's still been steady enough to – Make it all the way to East Lake. Eric Van Royen shot a, a billion under par today to sneak his way in. Um, he's in that group at, at Even. Patrick Reed, Sean. The biggest question mark of our next few days is Patrick Reed's well being because
1: how yeah, are his lungs? This is
0: it's a double factor here. You've got
1: two lungs, yeah, double pneumonia.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Too soon? Maybe. Who's to say? But all right, so Patrick Reed. Everyone thought he was going to get knocked out uh, this week, but the the correct people didn't really play well. Um, K. H. Lee made bogey at the last hole. I think that allowed Patrick Reed to stay. And Alex Norin made bogey at the last hole. I don't, you know, I didn't have my abacus out, so I don't know exactly how the math was playing out, but something like that kept Patrick Reed in the 30 slot. Now you have the possibility that if he can roll out of bed, he should go tee it up on Thursday and. You know, who knows? Maybe make himself a couple million bucks in the process.
1: Like this is a guy who went from Minneapolis to uh, from the three M TPC Twin Cities course straight to the hospital to get tested when he got the call. Maybe you could play in the Olympics. Then he flew mm-hmm. private. He booked a private flight that was not already booked to fly down back to Houston, get another test next night, get a third test, go all the way to Tokyo play your buns off as you know as much as you can on no rest in Tokyo then fly straight to Memphis and play in the next event like he entered, I think he eventually WD'd from that event but regardless like the guy has been all over the place but he's always shown that if you can play for team USA he's going to do it so I would be shocked if he doesn't show up I hope he's doing well um but that much you know we don't know anything about that so
0: We don't know anything about it. We are not doctors. We don't even usually play them. And we also don't have
1: Justine Reed on speed dial.
0: We don't have Justine Reed on speed dial, which means we can't ask the easy or difficult questions in her direction. And we're sort of missing uh, some of both. I think including whether there would be any complications if Reed actually has covid if he would then be eligible to play in the tour championship or what the you know kind of window is on that front so we you know there's a lot that we just don't know and there was some discussion today about whether you know oh patrick reed well he probably won't play in the Ryder cup team i think it's a little hasty to be saying that i agree this guy's really good on the Ryder cup i think until until we found out about the pneumonia he was a shoe-in to be on the team
1: yeah, so, but also like who else are you so confident not you specifically, but anyone who doesn't think he should be on the team. Who else are you mm-hmm. so confident in?
0: I think the one thing with Reed is this has been a it's been a weird kind of deal. He withdrew from back-to-back tournaments with kind of confusing explanations. Obviously not doing well if he's hospitalized for several days. So, yeah, I mean there's a there's big question marks there, but the Ryder Cup's still a month away. Um there's plenty of time for him to get right. So, Let's run through it, Sean. We now have the final six qualifiers for the the U.S. Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Koepka, Justin Thomas, and Patrick Cantlay. Morikawa actually a little bit worrisome. He played very poorly. There's talk that his you know he's fighting a little bit of a back injury. Um, the rest of those guys playing pretty well. And then there's three guys that are locks at this point: Tony Finau. Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth. Any objection there? No. No objection there. Now is where it gets interesting because Harris English has quite a few points. He's next at number 10 in the the Ryder Cup standings. Patrick Reed is right after him. Daniel Berger is right after him. So that would round out if you just went chalk. It would be those three guys. Webb Simpson's number 13, Scotty Scheffler's number 14, Jason Kokrak 15, Sam Burns, et cetera, et cetera. Who you got at this point? If you're the captain, if you, if you are having to make picks, does Harris English, has he, has he earned it? Is he going to be the best man for that spot that you would keep him in there?
1: Yes, I think so. And it's unfortunate because Steve Stricker's looking around like, can one of you guys just like play your way onto this team? And not everyone has, uh, Mm-hmm. There, there comes a point in every Ryder Cup qualifying period where someone has, has kind of is not a lock. They're definitely a wild card pick, but they've played so well that you're going to feel really bad keeping them off the team. And they almost ascend into this gray area where it's like, well, we kind of have to take him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's exactly where Harris English is right now. Um, if I'm Steve Stricker, I'll tell you one thing. Well, I'll say this: I think Steve Stricker is probably thinking about this thing more than people are giving him credit for. Look at how many Ryder Cup starts this team has. Colin Morikawa has zero Ryder Cup starts. Mm-hmm. Xander Schauffele zero Ryder Cup starts. Patrick Cantlay mm-hmm. zero Ryder Cup starts. Brooks Kepka he's got a weird kind of Ryder, weird Ryder Cup history was not playing on the President's Cup team when they won in Australia. You kind of look down this list. If Harris English is on that team, he's got zero Ryder Cup starts. Daniel Berger, zero Ryder Cup starts. I think... Webb Simpson is going to get a ton of deference like mm. it's, he's going to just a ton of preference, excuse me, when it comes to this because that dude has a bunch of Ryder Cup starts. He was on the team at Medina. I'm, I think he was on every single team maybe since then. Like he's got a lot going for him when it comes to Ryder Cup history, not necessarily like great performances, but he's just got so much experience that when Xander Shoffley or Morikawa or Berger or one of these rookies is on the first tee maybe shaking in their boots just a little bit because it's always different the Ryder Cup Webb Simpson is going to be there he's going to he he could be there that's my point like he's a decent person to have even if he hasn't played his best golf
0: here's my thing who cares basically (laughs) these guys have all played golf my thing is that oh, yeah? I, I don't think experience on its own is worth much. I think bad experience is is only worth less. Why don't you ask Team less. Europe give me the, about that? Gimme the guy that has never proven himself one way or the other over the guy that, you know, you've seen out there and hasn't necessarily been particularly impressive. I think Webb Simpson has a losing Ryder Cup record.
1: Yeah. Every uh, other think American he's been does particularly too. Effective. He hasn't been well, particularly effective in the Ryder Cup, but who who's going to hit a calm putt on 18 with an even up match that he needs to hit or he needs to make it from 15 feet? Scotty Scheffler or Webb Simpson? I I know that Scotty Scheffler's played good golf this year, but I put a little more confidence in the guy who's honestly seen that setting before. And if you look at the list of people who are in that Wild Cup zone right now, what wild wild card zone. Gosh, Scotty Scheffler. Wild Cup <laughs> it is a wild cup scheffler Kokrak, burns horschel kisner nah all these dudes have never hit a single Ryder cup shot and you know you've been in the business long enough to know that all these dudes they discuss the Ryder cup differently it's just weird like that mm-hmm.
0: well all right so then who are you replacing if you are including webb simpson because my man Daniel Berger is a very good golfer. Sure, maybe Patrick Reed, if he's not well. Maybe you're bumping him off. But are you? No, are think, you taking off DB straight vibing off your team?
1: I think unfortunately, Reed or Berger will miss out on that team because of Webb Simpson. Um, and if you look at it, Reed and Berger made one million more dollars than Webb Simpson during Ryder Cup mm-hmm. qualifying. That's it, one million more dollars than him. Now, granted. Web Simpson's came, you know, a lot more in in twenty 2020 twenty than twenty twenty one. But also this twelfth spot, it's just so easy to overthink it. You know how many you know how many matches the twelfth spot has to play. <laughs> Technically one.
0: Yeah, not a whole lot.
1: There will be at least two and potentially three, but maybe just two. So, it's so easy to overthink it. I know everything's important, but you've got your core nine and it's just, is Harris English or Patrick Reed or Daniel Berger going to be so much better than Webb Simpson's going to be? It's impossible to know. (laughs) That's kind of the, end. it's a bit of a guessing game.
0: The only other question, and I know this is, you know, there's a lot of guessing at this point when it comes to Patrick Reed, do you factor in at all the fact that the last time he was in a Ryder cup team room he essentially lit a match and and dropped it a I think we've
1: learned out. so much since then I think the entire American team was a letdown that week and I think Patrick Reed was just kind of fuming I Patrick Reed really only does this and 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 American players really only do this when like there's been some form of miscommunication Tom Watson in 2014 mm. sitting Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth um uh, kind of making decisions that phil mickelson didn't agree with poor communication jim Furyk breaking up spieth and reed when there wasn't a whole lot of great communication you know that team was kind of it seemed like there were cracks from the start with that team that flew over last minute from the tour championship over across the pond to paris now i'm working with so much you know hindsight <laughs> all of the hindsight truly yeah. but When there is good communication, like it seems Steve Stricker has really made a point to make real, things tend to go a little bit better for Team Reed. And uh, I mean, that definitely happened at Hazeltine. You know, let the good times flow is a kind of thing that I I tend to think happens with these Ryder Cup squads. And uh, they just need to lean on their guns, right? They need to lean on their big boys. Which is Speed Shoffley Finau and all the qualified dudes.
0: Hmm. Sure. I think that's definitely true. Do you think that um, Patrick Cantlay, Bryson DeChambeau, people were building this into some kind of beef today? Yes. You know the handshakes were awkward. Oh the, my gosh. There was a weird exchange where Bryson told him to to stop walking. You know they they were trying to catch up to the group in front of them. Is is this a real thing or is this Dylan, just manufactured for today? I
1: swear to God, you're looking at my notes. I'm so glad you brought this up because I don't think we need to make that much out of this. And I mm. will not be a Bryson apologist. Like what he, what he said in the moment was a little bit alarming. It felt like we were on cruise control. Both these guys are playing their own balls. They almost don't yep. even care about each other. They're both just trying to make birdies. Um, and then suddenly, like the broadcast came to a halt when he said very loudly, hey Patrick, please stop walking. But what mm-hmm. what what did we all see there? We saw one camera angle yep. and one one basically shot on repeat. And that's all we've seen. That's all that the PGA tour tweeted out was that little moment where he says, Patrick, please stop walking. Now, I think it's a complete coincidence that Patrick Cantley rolled in a birdie and that Patrick or excuse me that Deshambo did not. But Roger Maltby Called it on the broadcast an altercation. He used that big mm. a word to describe the
0: Broadcast was <laughs> coming out firing, but, but I'm al- a little loose this afternoon
1: afterward. Cantlay said it was nothing. And I think mm-hmm. he might be, he could one be trying to diffuse whatever happened, but two, he also could just be telling the truth and that he was in Bryson's sight line when he was lining up a shot. He, he admitted that he was, and that he stopped, and he was up there for a reason because they had been told that they were playing slow. It was incredible how much the broadcast brought this up without mm-hmm. without a view of how Patrick reacted to being asked to slow down, without a view, you know, without any more context from Bryson afterward. It was it it felt like it was much ado about largely nothing. Uh I was yeah. I was honestly floored when Maltby called it an altercation. I looked up the Merriam Webster definition for what altercation means to see if he could actually even be remotely correct. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it was.
0: So I think you're right. My instinct is that you're right. My instinct is that if Bryson had just said, Hey, hey man, heads up, like, you know, just something a little bit less um abrasive maybe a little bit less blunt than this truly we wouldn't have even noticed it yeah but instead he said it the way he said it i mean you know what's more bryson than this a potential controversy coming out of him phrasing something probably different than how he meant it um but it was so so then two kind of counter thoughts on that though (laughs) if i was to play devil's advocate it was icy sure the rest of the way right they were not talking Neither of them is super chatty with the other players no, to begin with. No, Harry was very being much himself. internal guys. The handshakes were a little weird. They're quick. They were very, very brief. Again, like these are two maybe kind of awkward guys that aren't going to like spend a long time bro hugging it up. But I think that there could be something to it. And my final thing is that this is sports where. Petty feuds have started from, from less than this. So This is
1: extremely true, and particularly in the case of Bryson DeChambeau, petty feuds. He's been uh, one of the two queens of an uh, extreme petty feud this year. Uh, now, to continue playing devil's advocate, to your devil's advocate, <laughs> the devil's devil, uh, would Tiger Woods have been anything less than icy in a mano-a-mano stroke play finish? No.
0: No, he would have been at least as icy. It's it's funny, I'm trying to imagine Tiger Woods telling his playing partner to stop walking, which might speak to something else. I don't, I don't know exactly what, what, but I just can't possibly imagine yeah. that situation happening. What, I think his playing partner just wouldn't be walking to was, begin with.
1: Was Brooks Kepka a little bit icy and honestly uh, probably a little bit bitter when Phil Mickelson beat him at Kiowa and he had the crowd storming around? Bright. I mean, Brooks basically said that people were taking his knees out, which it didn't look like yeah, happened. bitter
0: definitely is on <laughs> the right track, I would say, to describe Kepka that week.
1: And when, uh, you know, Dan Hicks this afternoon explained – what was happening, he likened it to Phil Mickelson versus Henrik Stenson at Royal Troon in the 2016 Open Championship, which I thought it was somewhat accurate in calling it that. Two-man, uh, two-horse race. Was Phil Mickelson, like, honestly happy in that moment or even cheery with Stenson towards the end? They weren't talking to each other at all. Not until the final putt It's funny putt when
0: dropped. Phil gets in that zone. and uh, He'll be cutthroat it's too. interesting. Henrik Stenson piling up a couple top fives just moved inside the top 50 in team Europe's Ryder cup ranking. So I'm not sure he's really on the radar, but maybe he could still make a little noise. That's neither here nor there. Uh, what else you got for me, Sean?
1: Well, I just, that was my devils to the devil advocate thing. It's just like, Um, look, a lot of people in that setting are going to be icy. What, what they were doing was extremely icy. Um, but what do we truly know about what happened there? Extremely little. We have one camera view of it, and the broadcast ran with it. I can't totally blame them, but my gosh, they returned. We have to one it one player's
0: testimony. We have not not been hearing a whole lot from the big golfer Bryson DeChambeau, uh, who I was really curious if he was going to speak to print media if he won the tournament, which it looked like he was going to do.
1: I don't know how he. But couldn't. instead,
0: once he once he lost then it i mean if he, if he wasn't talking before after losing a heartbreaking playoff that was probably not going to be a thing that he was doing was talking to the media afterwards that so. guy's
1: that guy's had some tough golf lately he's played some really good golf but he's had some tough golf in the sense that at at Torrey Pines he blows up after making the turn with the lead after 63 holes blows up Uh, Shoots 44, was it? That was the number on the back nine? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Like, to call his summer of golf turbulent, yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. You know, drops the caddy, comes out, and the next time he's in contention, also blows up again, Um, him and Harris English at the same time. Okay, he's in contention again. We were wondering, will he blow Mm -hmm. up again today? No. He actually kind of continues going pretty low doesn't truly doesn't get the chip yips doesn't close mind you yeah kind of has a ticket from him
0: well yeah it was interesting thinking about the back nine it's like okay is this a referendum on bryson's golf game and if it was then damn it held up really well birdied 10 nearly drove the green on 11 made birdie there took care of things birdied the the par 5 12th so he was 300 through three on the back and then you know 17 was a little bit troubling but yeah he still got it in the house with the final round 66 that's nothing to scoff at
1: he i I found myself asking what more could bryson have done and there's there's definitely some he had a 17 foot putt for uh birdie to win it in regulation he had a six foot putt for birdie to win it in a playoff he had an 18 footer for birdie in a playoff to also win it those three could have all gone and then Mm -hmm. he also had an eight footer on the sixth and final playoff hole to extend the match or to Mm -hmm. yeah to extend the playoff and uh so those are four putts that at least extend the playoff if don't if not ending it in his favor and i think if you give him all four of those putts one more time he's going to make one of them uh obviously Mm -hmm. the six footer uh, was pretty bad earlier on in the playoff. Um, he hit, gosh, he hit, he mashed driver everywhere. He maintained his advantage on Patrick Cantlay. It felt like his foot was kind of on Cantlay's neck throughout a lot of that playoff. And he didn't get it done because he didn't make putts. And how many opponents are going to make putts on top of you like Cantlay did? Maybe one or two in 100. But that's who he, yeah. that's who he played today. Not
0: often. Not often. Bryson is, I mean, it's going to be really interesting how he plays at the Tour Championship and then how he shows up for the Ryder Cup because his attitude, there's sort of like, there's sort of surly Bryson when things aren't going his way. And then there's the complete opposite, which is, you know, entertainer Bryson, YouTube performer Bryson, like long drive, happy Bryson. So how he shows up in these next few Big time, high profile events is going to be pretty interesting, especially off like another kind of awkward finish.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting to me is how many, how many times we're going to see these guys after next weekend. Tour championship is next weekend. And then there's a, there's a couple week break for the Ryder yep. Cup, two weeks before the Ryder Cup. Will we see these guys play at all? Will they sit out for two weeks? Does any of their form this yeah. week matter for one month from now? Yes and no.
0: Yeah. The European team is all going to play together, I believe, at the BMW PGA. Yeah. Which is interesting. You know, you could see... You can see if the U.S. is going to falter, there's going to be some storylines like what you're sort of hinting at. Um, and it's going to be stemming from the fact that, once again, Team Europe is going to have a cohesive schedule and plan. And the the U.S. team probably won't have played very much because... They are all tired and they are feeling probably a little bit road weary after this super season. So, we might not see a ton of them in the couple of weeks before the Ryder Cup. That could be fine. Or, again, you don't know how these things really affect it. it you feel dumb almost even guessing about it. But, yeah, are they all going to go play Silverado the week before? No. Nope. I don't think so. So I guess the answer is we're not really going to see anyone between the Tour Championship and the Ryder Cup on the American team.
1: Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So, yeah, we've been watching it and talking about it and how there are cracks in this team. I'm just glad we were months and weeks and whatever in tournaments ahead of, ahead of it. And, you know, if Team Europe wins, then we'll uh, say we were right. I and mean, if Team USA wins, we'll describe we'll them as we right. yeah, a beast that couldn't be beaten. So, Solheim Cup, we need some stakes. I'm taking Team Europe, you can take Team USA. What are our stakes? Wow, straight up? Straight up. I think our stakes should be stakes.
0: Literal stakes.
1: You owe me a steak dinner when Team, USA, when Team uh, Europe wins.
0: This is the week of Ye, Leave Me, No coming out party she's gonna absolutely shred in her solheim cup debut here yeah
1: shaking in her boots
0: (laughs) no i think that look i mean on paper the u.s team is extremely top heavy it's four golfers and then kind of falls off the cliff so the whole thing is going to hinge on yeah you know how the how the some of the young u.s players play under the gun
1: against i'm excited to see some of these golfers saganda come. Mm -hmm. come get some
0: Leona McGuire. I'm excited to watch. She can take it deep when she gets going. You have spent time at Inverness. Yeah. You've shot some drone footage. You've got a video that's coming out this week showing off the course. What do you know about it? What are we going to see?
1: Well, gosh, it's a course that's that's changed in the last decade. It used to have tons and tons of trees on the property. They cleared out a lot mm-hmm. of trees. That's what you need to see terms of the golf.com content this week, just a little video, you know, it's a, it's a course that's over hundred years old. It's classic. It's been hosting USGA events for over a century now. So it's Donald Ross. You're going to have to hit a lot of good approach shots. These greens are, are kind of wicked. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if it's a course that could host the bet the best men's players in the world. I think they want to, I think at this point they might end up hosting the best like senior men's players in the world. But that's, that's something mm-hmm. that we kind of talked about after the women's open at Olympic, right? Like there might be some really good courses that are just great for the best women's players in the world. And Inverness might be one of them. Um, I hope that it's, gosh, I hope that it's firm because the Midwest has just been pummeled and pummeled with thunderstorms lately it just, it feels like every single night there's some type of thunderstorm in the Midwest. And uh, so I hope that Toledo has been dry lately. I don't really know, to be frank, Um, but Chicago has not been particularly dry. And I think the weather just kind of goes straight over to Ohio from here. So I don't know, we'll see, but it'll be a lot of fun. I've got Team Europe and hopefully a steak dinner coming my way. Um, Anything else from you for, for tonight's podcast?
0: One last thing for me. I had my mind blown, Sean, by a snack on the way home from Chicago. United broke out Eli's Cheesecake and Desserts is the company. They make this chocolate chip cookie pie in the sky. You
1: wrote this down.
0: I took a photo of it because I thought that the people needed to know. Um, I'm hanging on to some United gold status. Yeah, this is a a pro-Delta podcast. I don't really
1: know what you're doing.
0: This is an Alaska Airlines podcast, hopefully soon <laughs> sponsored by Alaska Airlines, but I just had to shout that out because it's like a chocolate chip cookie slash little chocolate pie and it's the best thing I've ever tasted.
1: All right. Then one final shout out from me. Last week, we gave Stephen Upton a shout out. This week, Zach Bartles gets a shout out. We might have to do a shout out every single week, but Zach is probably our- Weekly shout out. Our most loyal Wisconsin Shh. listener. So Bartles, that was for We appreciate
0: you. you. Shoutouts also to Sung JM Rory McElroy some quiet third and fourth place finishes. Not listeners of the podcast. Not loyal listeners. <laughs> not, not yet. All right. All right, well, Sean. That's that's good what, job.
1: Fifty minutes. Fifty minutes again. See you next week.